It started with one and continued with many, sent by God and compelled by the gospel. We proclaim the hope of salvation, arrested by grace. We run the race and find ourselves truly liberated. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. It's good to see you guys. Y'all look so good today. I want to welcome you uh, here at our Long Point campus. Glad you're here. Uh, also want to welcome those who are joining us from the uh, warehouse or the chapel from one of our off-site campuses, internet campus or podcast. Hey, we're just glad everybody's here along for the ride today. Uh, hey, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had one of those days that you wish you could just totally have a do-over on? Yeah, yeah, you had one of those days you, you made a decision or a series of decisions that ended up, you know, leading to some regrets. You know, I've had my fair share of those, but uh, boy, there's one that really stands out to me uh, when I was in seventh grade, seventh grade. Now, before I tell you the story, you have to understand that when I was in the seventh grade, I was extremely shy, backwards, and extremely insecure kid. I was afraid of everything. And so my fears caused me to draw certain boundaries in life. You know what I'm talking about? Boundaries that would keep me safe. And so uh, I had certain places that I would not go, certain people that I would avoid, and certain things that I just would not do. And I felt like that would keep me safe. So one of the insecurities in my life that created a boundary for me that sometimes caused problems was I was scared to go in the middle school boys' bathroom. Sort of need that place sometimes. And uh, so, but, but you have to understand, it was 1973. Brownsville Station had uh, released that uh, hit song, uh, Smoking in the Boys' Room. Y'all remember that one? So, yeah, so I, I could just, I had this mental image of, you know, these thugs in the boys' room leaning against the sink, you know, smoking and waiting for me, just waiting for me to come in. Nobody else just waiting for me to come in so they could just pulverize me. And so one day I was, I was sitting there in Miss McCune's seventh grade English class and I had my legs crossed and I was just twitching and squirming and, you know, everything I could. And it was the last class of the day. 30 more minutes, I would be home. Just, I knew I could make it, but finally I raised my hand. I couldn't take the pain anymore. And so I raised my hand and I asked if I could go to the bathroom. She let me. I was walking down the hallway, long, empty hallways during class. And I come up face to face with the boy's bathroom door. And I just couldn't go in. I, I, I was terrified. I mean, I knew what awaited me on the other side of that door. Guys, you know, you know middle school. On the other side of that door awaited me an atomic wedgie. You know, I mean, there, there were legends of kids who had gone before me, who had had their underwear taken all the way up over their head and still snapped, you know. And so I was like, there's no way I'm going behind that door. And if it wasn't that, I knew it was just it was going to be lunged head first into the toilet bowl for a swirly. And so I just stood there. And no matter how much, how bad the pain was, I turned and walked away. And I went back to my class and I sat there and I squirmed and wiggled until finally there was this warm sensation that filled my seat, flowed down into the floor, the bell rings. And all my classmates walk out, file past me and my little puddle sitting there. Now, can I tell you something? As a grown man looking back on that event now, I can tell you I would have much rather had an atomic wedgie than 43 seventh graders knowing that I wet myself. Just not good. 
But if we do this, we, we allow our fears and insecurities to create these self-imposed boundaries in our lives. We make decisions based on our fears and insecurities. And when we do that, we, cre- we create these self-imposed boundaries that limit our freedom. Self-imposed boundaries that limit our joy, our potential, our hopes, our dreams, our possibilities. When we live out of fear in that way, we live a life filled with regrets. And you know something? I'm a lot older now, but I still make decisions based on those insecurities. To this day, I still draw self-imposed boundaries certain places I don't want to go, certain people that I don't want to be around, or certain things I just I don't want to do because of my insecurities. You know what I mean? You have a dream. You, you've, you've had a dream for years, and it's just something that you've just wanted to do with your life, but you are scared to take steps towards making it happen because you're so afraid you're going to fail. In your office, you refuse to go down certain hallways because somebody on that side of the office looked at you wrong or criticized you or said something negative about you one time. So you just don't go down that hallway. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. Or you have a talent that you don't use because you're so afraid of being judged. Or you have a problem that you need to confront, but you won't confront it because... If I confront it, somebody's going to get upset with me. I'll be misunderstood. And it's just, I would rather just suppress it than actually speak truth and confront it. Or you have a story to tell, an idea to contribute, but you don't speak up because you're so afraid of how you're going to be perceived. You're in a marriage that's stuck in emotional and sexual mediocrity and you refuse to do anything to fix it because... You're so scared of being vulnerable in front of your own spouse. Or you're living a life that's just, you you, you just have all these strongholds. And life's not what you want it to be or hoped it would be or going to be because these strongholds have a hold of you. And you're so scared to go to a pastor, a friend or counselor and tell them about it because you're so scared somebody's going to figure out that you don't have it all together. Can you relate to any of this? We all do it. We all have some level of insecurity in our lives that calls us to create self-imposed boundaries because of, because of these, these fears. And it leads to regret in our life. Now, here's what we tell ourselves. We say, well, I have these insecurities because, you know, I, I've failed in the past. I've made mistakes in the past or I've been verbally, physically, emotionally abused in the past. I've, I've had people mistreat me or treat me unjustly or, you know, I just people have given me these negative images of myself and or I've lived under high expectations for so long and, and failed to live up to somebody's expectations that I, I just have all these insecurities. And... And while those are contributing factors to our insecurities, can I tell you something? Those are external forces. And if those external forces are the determining factor of your insecurities, then we're in trouble. Because those external factors are part of our everyday life. So what do you do? How do you overcome your insecurities? Why is it that that our fears get so deeply rooted? Why do my fears get so deeply rooted in my soul? 
that they influence my attitude and my behavior in such negative ways. Let me tell you this. As believers, our insecurity ultimately, our insecurities ultimately come from a lack of understanding our, in, our identity in Christ. That, that's where our insecurities are rooted at, in a lack of understanding of our identity in Christ. Here's what I want you to get today, okay? You don't get anything else. Here, here's the one thing I want you to walk away with today. Understanding your identity in Christ will free you from the insecurities that limit your possibilities. Understanding your identity in Christ will free you from the insecurities that limit your possibilities. This week, we're beginning a brand new series. As we, uh, it's called Liberated as we finish up the, uh, the book of Acts. And today we're going to look at Acts chapter 26. Uh, Jeff sort of shared the context with us last week. He, he told us that Paul had been in prison for a couple of years. He was in prison on trumped-up charges, and uh, the Roman government was just holding him because they didn't know what to do with him. They were doing a Jew's favor just by holding him in prison there. And Festus was the one responsible for Paul. And, and, and Paul had appealed to Caesar. So we know that Paul's getting ready to be sent to Rome, but before he can be sent to Rome, Festus has to write up the charges against Paul. And he's having difficulty with this because Paul hadn't done anything. And so he's trying to figure out what, what to write up, what charges to, to, to file against him. And all of a sudden, he gets a visit from, from a guy named Agrippa. Agrippa was a Jewish king. And Agrippa comes by to visit Festus, and they're sitting there talking, and, and Festus shares this dilemma that he has with Paul. And, Festus, uh, and, and Agrippa says, hey, I want, I want to talk to this guy. I want to meet this guy. And so, so he's brought in for a conversation. You have to understand that in chapter 26, this is, Paul's, it's, it's not a trial. It's just a casual conversation with, with a Roman governor and a Jewish king and a bunch of political who's who's in the room. And in this chapter, it's Paul's longest speech in the book of Acts. And in this chapter, Paul shares how Jesus Christ changed his life. In front of these men, he, he shares with them how Jesus Christ uh, uh, fulfilled the prophecies, the Old Testament prophecies, through his death and resurrection. And Paul appeals to them to accept this truth. And right in the middle of Paul's talk, here's what happens. Festus stands up and he says, Paul, you have lost it. You've gone mad. You're, you, you're insane. And then Agrippa looks at Paul and says, Paul, do you think that you can convince us to become Christians? There's, there's no way. And I love Paul's response. Look, look what he says. He says, short time or long time, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. When I studied this passage this week, that grabbed me. Paul, in front of these political leaders, how did he have such confidence in the face of their rejection to look at these men and go, you know what? I wish you had what I had. I wish you could be like me. I wish you could accept this truth. Paul is a prisoner. He's standing there in front of these men who are, who are men of infinite power and prestige and influence and wealth. And he looks at him and says, I wish you were like me. Even in the face of the rejection when Agrippa said, you're not going to convince me to become a Christian. Paul says, I wish you 
could become like me. Paul demonstrated fearless confidence because he understood his identity in Christ. Because when we understand our identity in Christ, it frees us from the insecurities that limit our possibilities. Now today, I want to I show you two things, okay? We're going to look at, uh, I want to show you two thoughts that we have to get a hold of, that we have to get firmly secured in our minds if we're going to be freed from the insecurities in our life. The first thought is this, God has shaped me for a purpose. If you want to be freed from your insecurities, you have to firmly get this thought in your mind that God has shaped me for a purpose. Look at Acts 26, 1 through 3. Agrippa said to Paul, uh, they're getting ready to have this conversation, and, uh, uh, and, and Agrippa said to Paul, Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So, so Paul said this. He said, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today. And I make my defense and make my defense against all accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are so well acquainted with the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Understand what's going on here. Paul has a private audience with a Roman governor and a Jewish king. And Paul looks at these guys and he said, I am so excited about talking to you guys. I I consider it a privilege to sit here and, and tell my story to you. And and Paul was so excited, not because he thought he would find his freedom in this instance, because it was just a casual conversation. It wasn't a trial. Paul was excited because he's like, man, I was made for this. This is what I love to do. I'm getting the opportunity to share how Jesus Christ changed my life with these men of influence. You see, when you read this chapter, you have to think back to Acts chapter 9, verse 15. When, When Paul first met jesus christ because here's what paul here's what jesus said uh, about paul he said this man is my chosen instrument he said paul paul is my chosen instrument i have a specific purpose for his life what's that purpose listen he says to carry my name before the gentiles and their kings (laughs) in this very moment paul is demonstrating confidence because he knows he's living out god's purpose for his life in that very moment You guys, part of understanding our identity in Christ is grasping who God has shaped us to be and His purpose for our life. Now, here's the problem. How in the world do you know God's purpose for your life? So many people spend their whole life trying to figure it out. It's frustrating. It feels like a mystery. How do I know what God's purpose for my life is? Well, There's a little acronym that's been around for years, and I've used it with tons of people, and it's extremely helpful in discovering God's purpose. There are five aspects of it. It's called called shape, and it helps you discover who God has shaped you to be. The S in shape is spiritual gifts. If we want to understand God's purpose for our life, we have to understand what are the spiritual gifts that God has given me. A spiritual gift is a God-empowered ability that's given to believers at the moment of their salvation to be used for the building up of the kingdom of God. If you want a list of those spiritual gifts, I've given you four passages. You can find that list, read through it, and begin to identify what's the spiritual gift that God has given me because that's a big clue into your purpose in life. H is heart. Heart. Or another word for that is passion. God has created you with certain passion. 
a passion to, about something, to make a certain difference in this world, an area that just really keeps you up at night. And uh, when, when you talk about this particular area of life, your voice goes up a little bit more because it's your passion. God's given you that for a reason. A is abilities. Abilities. What are your abilities? These are, your, are, are talents that you were born with or, or strengths or talents that you've developed throughout your life that God's allowed you to develop these things for a purpose to be used for Him. The P in shape is personality. Do you know that God has created you with a very specific personality? It may be task-oriented. It may be people-oriented. There are plenty of personality tests out there uh, online that you can take and discover, what is my personality type? How has God designed my personality? But He's designed it for a specific reason. And then finally is E, experiences. What are the seven, eight, or nine experiences that I've had in my life that have shaped who I am, that have shaped my passions and my values? How has God used those things in my life to, to help me prepare me for the things that are in my future. Now, you put all of this together and you really begin to understand who God has shaped you to be in His purpose for your life. I've used this little exercise with people uh, uh, for years and every time I do it, it, it infuses them with a new level of confidence and enthusiasm about God's purpose for their life. If you want to engage with me more on this, I'm going to do a post this week. So just check, uh, go to your campus page on the city and look for after the message. And uh, I'd love to engage with you more about this particular, particular subject. So now, he, here's the thing. You guys, here's the thing that God's been teaching me lately. The past few weeks, God's been driving something home in my heart. And it's, he's been teaching me the purpose for which God has designed me will include an ever-increasing challenge that will be larger than what I'm comfortable with so that I may always remain dependent on Him. He's been driving that in my head over the past few weeks, that the purpose that God has for me will include an ever-increasing challenge that will make me uncomfortable so that I will remain always dependent on Him. I was doing my, devotions through the book of, uh, doing my devotions through the book of Joshua, and I was meditating on Joshua chapter 14 a couple of weeks ago. It's the story of Caleb, and, and um, Caleb and Joshua have led the Hebrew people into the promised land. They've begun to conquer the land, and it's that stage uh, uh, when when it's time to begin to divide up the different regions among the 12 tribes, and then they would go into their different regions and they would conquer their their different regions. And so Joshua's standing there and he's talking with Caleb. And Caleb says, Joshua, I want to remind you of something. Years ago, when you and I came and spied out the land, and we were the only two that came back and gave a positive report, Moses promised me something. Moses promised me a specific piece of land over here. And God affirmed that promise. And then God also made me a promise that I would live to see this day. And Joshua, today I'm 85 years old. And as I stand here and I look at that land that God promised me years and years ago, it's the the toughest terrain in all of Canaan and has the fiercest enemy than all all the land. Joshua... 
give me that mountain. 85 years old. And he said, give me that mountain. And when I read that, you guys, God grabbed my heart and he said, Mac, you're old. (laughs) I said, gee, thanks for the reminder. (laughs) You know, the gray hairs reminded me of that every day. He said, no, no, Mac, you're getting older. You know what God's purpose is for your life. You've been living it for years. But listen, Mac, don't get comfortable. You're too comfortable. Don't put it on cruise control. Mac, this is the type of spirit that I want you to have. I want you to ask me for a mountain. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to do that. <laughs> God, you don't understand. I mean, that would be presumptuous of me to ask for a mountain. You're going to do what you want to do in my life, but no, no. I I mean, who am I to ask for a mountain? What right do I have to ask for a mountain? I don't even know what mountain to ask for, God. I mean, God, I can't ask you that. If you want to do something in my life, you do it. But I can't ask you for a mountain. And so clearly God spoke into my spirit and he said, then Mac... You have failed to understand my relationship with you. Because you see, I've put a passion in your heart to make a difference. And there's a burden deep in your heart. And Mac, I, have, I am your father and I have given you spiritual gifts and I have given you a passion and I have given you abilities and I've given you a certain personality and I've given you certain experiences up to this point in life and that's not for nothing. Don't get comfortable. It's time for you to ask for a mouth. It's time to ask for a mountain so that, I can, so that I can challenge you to do something bigger than yourself so that I might demonstrate my power to you. It's time to ask for a mountain so that I might continually prove myself faithful to you. It's time to ask for a mountain so that I can continually surprise you with the work that I want to do in you and through you. Ask for that mountain. And with tears flowing down my face in my quiet time, as awkward and as uncomfortable it was, I said, God, I want that mountain. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but God, I do know this. I want to experience the fullest expression of your purpose for my life. I want to go to the grave knowing that I have experienced the fullest expression of God's purpose for my life. I don't ever want fear and insecurities to cause me to draw boundaries around my life and live my life out of fear rather than truth. Guys, God has designed you for a purpose. And it's so easy for us to kick back, get comfortable, stick it in cruise control and just allow life to happen to us. And God's saying, if you understood that I'm your father and you're my son, you would understand that we partner together to make a difference in life. You ask me for a mountain and you watch what I'll do in your life. Scary. But can I tell you something? Ultimately, Overcoming our insecurities is not about confidence in myself. 
Overcoming my insecurities is about a confidence in who God is and who He's created me to be. You see, I have to understand my identity in Christ because it's my identity in Christ that frees me from these insecurities that limit my possibilities. Let me show you a second thing. A second thing that we have to get firmly grasp on, a firm grasp on in our minds if we want to be free from insecurities. Number two, it's what God says about me outweighs everybody else's opinion. I love this one. What everybody else says about me outweighs everybody else's opinion. Look back at, at Acts 26, 24 through 29. At this point, they're having a casual conversation. Uh, Paul with the Roman governor and the Jewish king. And, and, and Paul's talking about uh, how Jesus Christ changed his life and the, and the death and resurrection of Christ. And, and Festus has all he can take. He says, you are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning has driven you insane. And Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. <laughs> I love that response. Most excellent Festus. He's just calm, cool, and controlled. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. King Agrippa is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because this wasn't done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Put him on the spot. I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can convince me to become a Christian? And Paul gave that classic response. I pray to God that not only you, but everybody hearing me will become like me will experience what I experience. What what confidence. Festus tells him, you're nuts, you've lost your mind. And then Paul, talking to Agrippa, he looks at Agrippa who would be so well-versed in Old Testament scriptures and Old Testament prophecies. He looks at Agrippa and he says, Agrippa, you know the Old Testament prophecies. You watched how Jesus' life and death unfolded. Come on, put it together. You know this is true. And Agrippa goes, whoa, back off. You're not going to convince me. And in the face of this rejection, Paul still speaks with such confidence. Guys, you see, we have to understand, even though we are living out God's purpose for our life, doesn't mean that you're not going to experience rejection and criticism. It's still going to come. You know, one of the greatest insecurities, one of the greatest contributors to our insecurities is other people's opinion of us. You know, we... We make so many decisions in our life based on other people's opinion. We make decisions on whether to move forward on something, whether to speak up or not speak up, whether to take action or not, whether to step out on faith or take a risk, make a positive change in our life. We make all these decisions because, you know, based on what other people think about us or what they say about us. And our insecurities cause us to draw these self-imposed boundaries. You know, I... Every one of us have people in our lives, whether it's intentional or unintentional, that speak negative things into us, that create negative images about ourselves in our minds. All of us have it. And and some people do it. They're just mean. They're just mean. They do it on purpose. Other people, they're just clueless. They don't do it on purpose, but they say things that hurt you and cut you and make you think negatively about yourself. It's funny because (laughs) when my son Brandon was five years old, we took him to, to the doctor for a checkup and we walk into the waiting room and, and Cindy and I and Brandon, we're sitting there in the waiting room and the only other people in the waiting room was this young mama and her one-year-old baby that was sitting on her lap. 
And so little Brandon, he's about that tall, blonde, curly hair, cute as can be. And uh, being a little socialite that he is, the little gentleman he is, he walked over to the little baby. And he starts talking to the little baby and taking her feet and playing with her feet and tickling her belly and talking baby talk. I mean, sitting there, I was, I'm so proud of this kid. I mean, oh, what a little gentleman he is. We're proud of him until. <laughs> he takes this baby's feet and he starts shaking the baby's feet. And I promise you, he said, Is your mama ugly? Is your mama ugly? Yes, your mama's ugly. Yeah, your mama's ugly. <laughs> and it didn't end. I mean, he just kept going and going. Oh. I was out of there. I <laughs> But you know something? All of us have somebody in our life that's looking at us and they're going, you ugly. <laughs> you ugly. <laughs> they're looking at us and whether intentionally or unintentionally, they're saying, you know what? You're not good. You're not the right size. You're not, you don't have the right experience. You're not smart enough. You don't have the right education. You're not mature enough. And, and we have all these outside voices come into our head. All these negative things that come at us. And guys, here's what happens. When you let those things land in your mind and you begin to accept those things as truth, it reprograms you inside. It programs you to respond certain ways to certain people. It programs you to respond certain ways to certain situations. It programs you to respond based on insecurities. Next thing you know, you are hesitant, you lack confidence, you withdraw, you take fewer risks, you play it safe, you avoid situations, and you end up with painful regrets in your life. We've got to accept the fact that what God says about me, the truth about me far outweighs what others' opinion. We have to grasp God's truth because if we don't grasp God's truth, then we're going to live our life out of fear rather than living our life out of truth. I want to give you a challenge. I mean, you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, you're thi- you have labeled a couple of insecurities in your life that are drawing boundaries around you, producing regrets in your life. You've labeled a couple of them. And here's what I want to challenge you with. I want you to write it down on a piece of paper and then I want you to think about God's word, God's truth. And you find a corresponding truth that matches that insecurity and that fear. And you begin to meditate on that and I promise you, it will begin to change you. You've got to reprogram the way you think based on God's truth, not fear. You have to go back to God's truth. What's God's truth about you? The truth is God absolutely loves you and adores you. The truth is you are complete in Christ. The truth is you are forgiven. The truth is he chose you. The truth is you are secure. The truth is you are cherished. The truth is you are gifted. The truth is you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The truth is you are a masterpiece. When we begin to understand that, when we begin to let that settle into our soul, it changes us. When we realize that God's opinion outweighs everybody else's opinion, it changes the way we view ourselves because understanding your identity in Christ will free you from the insecurities that limit your possibilities. What are your fears? What are the fears that have a hold of you right now? 
right now today that's causing you to draw self-imposed boundaries and not live to the fullest extent of God's purpose for your life? What are they? What's causing you not to live the way your career out the way God wants you to live your career? What's causing you to, to not parent the way you want to parent? Are you parenting out of fear? Are you parenting out of truth? What about your marriage? What are the insecurities that are, that are keeping your marriage from becoming everything it should become or your relationships everything they should become? What about your spiritual life? What are the insecurities that are holding you back there? The truth, was, the truth is what's going to set you free. I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago. A good friend of mine. Uh, I've helped he and his wife years ago through some marriage problems and things were restored and things were, were going really well. And so I was really surprised the other day when he called me and he said, Mac, it's, it's back. I mean, it's, it's all falling apart again. And uh, he told me what the deal was and just said, you know what, we're, just, we're roommates with three kids is basically what we are. We're just existing. We hardly talk to each other and it's bad. And I said, well, how long has it been like this? And he said, six, eight months it's been going down. I said, have you talked to her? He said, no. No, I haven't talked to her. Why? Have you talked to her about what you're feeling? No. I said, I don't understand. He said, Mac, I know what will happen. If I approach it, if I confront it, she's going to be defensive. She's going to fuss. She's going to yell. She's going to blame it all on me. You know what, Mac? I've decided it's just safer to be a doormat than try to fix it. As I sat there and talked to him on the phone, I saw him drawing these self-imposed boundaries that were limiting the joy that he can experience in life and in his marriage. And I said, listen, let me tell you something. In this very moment, as I'm listening to you, you are living out of fear instead of living out of truth. I said, listen to me. I want to tell you the truth, and I want you to listen to me. Here's the truth. The truth is God loves man, the institution of marriage. That's truth. The truth is that, that, that God has given you a deep passion for your wife and a deep love for your wife. That's the truth. The truth is God wants you to experience joy in your marriage. That's truth. The truth is God has united you two together in a covenant relationship that you can be a minister to your mate. That's the truth. The truth is God may be asking you to move out of your comfort zone for the sake of your family and for your marriage, and for your spiritual health. The truth is, God may be using this to draw you closer into a relationship with Him. The truth is, God may want to use you to totally help transform your wife's spiritual health. And the truth is, if you want to find security, if you want to find freedom, if you want to find joy, the truth is, you've got to surrender yourself to walking in God's way and God's truth. And I said, listen, this is a tough one. But the truth is, she may not respond the way you hope. I can't guarantee that. But I do know this. Right now, you are walking out of fear. You are living out of fear. And if you ever want to have joy and peace in your life again, you're going to have to walk out of truth. So we spent the next 30 minutes just walking through. What does that look like? What are the next steps you need to take? And with each next step, <laughs> there were groans and grunts. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can. You have to. You don't have a choice because you, you're going to choose to walk out of fear. You're going to choose to walk out of truth. Guys, 
I don't know how it's going to end with him. But I do know this. That if he lives under God's truth and, and continues to understand his identity in Christ, he's going to be free regardless. He's going to have freedom in his life. Pain might still be there, but he'll have joy and freedom. You guys, fear and insecurity want to rob you of the opportunity to experience the fullness of God's will for your life. Don't allow your insecurities to take you down a road filled with regrets. Look at yourself through God's truth and understanding and and, and believe it that understanding your identity in Christ is going to free you from drawing self-imposed boundaries and free you from the insecurities that are limiting you from experiencing the fullness of what God has for your life. Let's pray. Lord, thanks. Thanks for this time together in, in your word. And God, I thank you that every time we open your word, you speak and you, it's like you take a knife like you did with my life this week. You just took a knife and you surgically get into my heart and make changes that sometimes are painful and hard to face. But changes that are making me more and more like you. And that's what you want to do in our lives. So God, as we come into this time of of worship, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would move our hearts. I pray that we would have the courage just to hold our hands up and say, here I am. God, I want that mountain. I want the full expression of your purpose in my life, whatever it is. And as we surrender to you, Father, I pray that you give us the courage to to take steps in truth and live in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.